Listen, turning your Bibles to Isaiah 59, Isaiah 59, while you're turning there, I want to talk about a, a cantata practice was Wednesday night. Now, not all of you showed up, but we found out that it was our fault. Lori played a joke on us, putting the wrong date. <laughs> hey, Lori. <laughs> Just throw you under the bus. Hey, we're meeting Wednesday night, but the group that showed up, we had a good time. Um, we had a really good time, so make sure if you're in this and if you're interested, please come out this Wednesday night at 7.30, 7.30, to 8.30, we'll meet right in here. Uh, we're breaking our parts up. We had a, uh, it's going to be a great cantata. We're, we're redoing one we did about, I think, five or six years ago, and it's a really good one, so make sure you come out for that. And we apologize um, for messing that up, that date up, but this Wednesday and from here on out, I will let you know if we don't have it, but we meet on Wednesday nights, and it's a really, really fun time. So look forward to having you guys. Hey, if you're in Isaiah 59, I would like you to look at just the first verse with me. Look at that first verse. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Folks, God's hands are not so short that he cannot reach us, his hearing is not so bad that he cannot hear us. It's not that at all. It's us. We are the problem. Let me explain. If you look at verses 2 and 3 of Isaiah 59, <clears throat> but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. Last week, we talked about the quenching of the Spirit, extinguishing His fire. And that is the sin and the evil that we allow in our lives, and that causes the separation, this great disconnect when we quench the Spirit or when we despise prophecy. So here is the same type of separation in Isaiah. Now see, Isaiah is prophesying to the people of Judah, okay? He is telling them, your iniquities have caused a separation between you and God. You have created a barrier, you have created a barrier between yourself and God. Now, let's be clear here to what kind of prayer God is not hearing. I want to be very clear. God, we're not talking about uh, the, uh, 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 the sinner's prayer here. We're not talking about um, one of repentance. God hears that. We're not talking about prayer from a believer who is coming to God for forgiveness broken and contrite. He hears that. We're not talking about prayer where a believer knows just how far and hard they have fallen and are asking God for help. He hears these. He does. His hands are not so short that he cannot reach out and help and save. He does. He loves his people who are praying these kinds of prayers. So let's understand what God is not hearing in the context of Isaiah. So here's what's happening in this book. Again, Isaiah was called to prophesy to the kingdom of Judah. It was a message of both judgment and salvation. You got both. However, the problem here is not with God, it's with his people. 
His people were buried, folks, buried in acts of deceit, violence, injustice. Injustice, not injustice, injustice. Their condition was one of disobedience. They were wrapped up in evil and destructive actions. They were unrepentant. That's the key word there. They were unrepentant, and their trust was not truly in God. It was in their own empty words, just empty words. The nation had actually become depraved and because of how far it had strayed. Just like in our life, any great distance is going to hurt a relationship. Well, that's what happened here. The great barrier between them and God was what they had erected. They built this. Isaiah warned them that even foreign alliances, other nations, and their reliance upon human power, they were choosing that over the divine. God was willing. We have every story. God was willing. But they were choosing reliance of, on foreign alliances. And the problem with that is Isaiah knew that this would lead Judah to serving other gods and idolatry. And we have the proof. So God would save and deliver Judah if they trusted in him to do so. He would save them. And that is what this book is about. Isaiah is communicating God's anger. He's communicating disappointment, communicating sorrow with his people's behavior, and he's warning them of impending judgment because of the life they're living. Their condition, folks, nationally, it was not good. It was not good. <clears throat> the people began to feel that it was God who deserted them. Where's God? They began to think that it was God that deserted them. He, they began to feel that or they were charging him, if you will. They were charging him with indifference. He's indifferent to us now. They people just wondered why prayers weren't being answered. Why is God not giving us the attention that we need? Why is he not concerned with this unrepentant nation? See, it wasn't God's inability to hear it wasn't God's inability to act. No, it, this was affected. His inability was affected by the separation. I said it last week, and it bears saying again, that what believer, what believer would want to be disconnected from the Holy Spirit's power with all that he does for us, underline all, with all that he does for us. What believer would want to find themselves separated from his or her God? These are the hands that we want to be held by. Who would want to leave that safety and security of God's hands? But we have story after story of that happening. And you and I, we are not innocent either. We're not. Good friend of mine, encouraging friend, a friend that I'm kind of in tune with scripturally, uh, we are in tune together. And what I mean is about a couple weeks ago, I had started just thinking about this sermon, thinking about God's hands. And he sent me this video. I'm not going to play the video. I just I want to use the information in it. Uh, I just want you to know, don't give me credit for this. I didn't come up with it. 
but it was an excellent, excellent video, and I want to give you the information because it kind of brings, brings what I want to talk about. See, Isaiah was the introduction to this. Let's talk about the hands of God and the person of Christ. So the guy in the video said, if you put a bat, you may have seen this, but if you put a basketball in my hands, just say Mark Tanner's hands, that basketball is probably worth 15 or 20 bucks in my hands. But if you put it in the hands of LeBron James, well, it comes worth millions because it depends whose hands it's in. If you put a football in my hands, it's what it is, 10, 15 bucks. But you put that football in the hands of Patrick Mahomes and you're talking millions because it depends whose hands it's in. You could give me a slingshot and in my hands, it's basically a kid's toy. But if you take that same slingshot and put it in the shepherd's boy who became king, David, put it in his hands, it becomes a lethal weapon. It becomes a giant slayer because it depends whose hands it's in. Same thing with the two fish and five loaves of bread. If you put it in my hands, I mean, it's lunch. That's all it can be. It's lunch. You put it in the hands of Jesus, and he could fight, feed 5,000-plus people. You could put nails in my hands, and maybe I could nail down a board for you, or if you're really lucky, I could build a birdhouse, possibly. But you put those same nails in the hands of Jesus, and it brings salvation, because it depends whose hands it's in. Your stress, your worries, your fears, your loss, folks, in your hands, that is all that it will ever be. That's all that it'll ever be. You're choosing to carry that. But if you put them in the hands of God, well, those are good, good hands to be in. Because God takes care of his children. And God will take care of those things for you. We can choose to carry those things in our hands. But God's right there, just like he was for his people in Isaiah. I'm right here. My hands are not so short that I can't reach out, buddy. My ears are not so dull that I can't hear. It's you. Why do we want to continue to carry these things in our hands? And that's what I want to talk about today. That's why I started out with the text in Isaiah this morning. See, God hears and God acts. God is always at the ready to hear, to deliver, and to save. His hands are always there to hold those who place their full trust in him. See, God delivered his people over and over. We see that. He delivered them. He restored them. He, he, he protected them. He provided for them over and over. The Lord was able, able and willing to restore his people with loving, faithful, and protective hands. He was but they persisted in their separation from him. That's amazing. They persisted in their separation. It's in Scripture, guys. But we do the same thing. We can persist in separation as well. I had to start with this passage because the most important thing here is that our relationship with God is intact. I have to say that again. Our relationship with God has to be right. It has to be intact. We do not want anything or anyone causing separation between us and God because we are called to walk with him in an intimate and personal relationship. Our God is a personal and relational God. He's not so far away. He's not so distant. 
He's right there. If your relationship with God is not right, I'm going to go ahead and tell you whatever else I say today, whatever else is presented, it just will not matter. It will not matter to your ears. Because what I'm going to talk about are God's hands. And to be in these hands, your relationship has to be right with God. That's why I started with Isaiah, to get a picture of what it's like to be separated from him. And only you can examine your hearts right now and know where you're at. But let's move on. Let's move on with this. We must prioritize God in our lives. We must prioritize God in our lives. And each of our lives, uh, he needs to be the most important relationship. He is the most important relationship you will ever have, that you will ever nurture, that you will ever be in. So we're going to talk about the hands of God and the person of Christ, because these hands were different from any other man's hands. Folks, his hands healed the sick, the blind, the lame. He healed lepers. He healed the possessed. His hands were nailed to a cross. In his hands, he reaches out to us. And you know what he says? Come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me and I'll give you rest. I can just picture those hands saying, climb in. I got you. So I want to talk about God's hands today because we have a great, great benefit to being a Christian. We have a great privilege of being a Christian and walking in the will of God in a relationship. So let's go over this. First thing I want to talk about is creating hands. Genesis 1.1, one of the most powerful verses, powerful verses in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let's just talk about this verse for a second, because this is huge. The first thing we see is that God exists. The next thing we find out is God existed before there was a universe, and he'll exist after there is no universe. We find out that he is the main character in our Bibles. We find out that he is mysterious. His ways, his thoughts... Um, His wisdom, his divine nature, it's beyond us. It is beyond us. Uh, He's the creator of heaven and earth. We just stated that. But he is also the creator of you. And you know what's awesome about this? We're not talking about God coming down and modifying pre-existing matter. No, 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 no. We are talking about God creating matter out of nothing. Out of nothing in this verse. It's huge. He is not dependent on anything. He is not dependent on anyone. This universe, folks, in its totality, including us, (laughs) is dependent on God. The totality of the universe, including us, is dependent on God. He is not depending on anything. You were created by the God of all things. He knows every fiber of your being because you were knitted in your mother's womb. He knitted you in your mother's womb. Job 12.10, in his hand is the life of every living thing and his breath and the breath of all mankind. In his hand. Creating hands know what is best for you. 
as the created, we have limited knowledge. We really can only see things from our perspective. That's it. That's all we've got, our perspective. Where God is unlimited, God has infinite knowledge. His perspective is out of our reach. So when we put everything into God's creating hands, we are essentially telling Him that we trust His plan for us. We trust His care for our well-being. Even when we cannot understand, we acknowledge that He knows what is best for us in all things. Psalm 145.16, you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. In our relationship with God, we are held by creating hands. Who knows us best? The one who created us. So there's some hands we're held in. Let's talk about controlling hands. Mark 4.31 and 32. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. Now here Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, okay? But the point that he is making both in the smallness of this seed and the kingdom At that point, what he's talking about is that it begins small, yet grows to great proportions. Actually, the mustard seed is not the smallest seed in the world, but in Jesus' time, it was the smallest in comparison to other seeds that were typically in use in Israel. Again, though, this tiny seed grows surprisingly large. Folks, we could plant the seed We can water the seed. We can add nutrients to the soil, right, in hopes that, uh, or an attempt really to give this future plant uh, the best possible chance at growth. We can tend to it like that. But do we control the transition from seed to plant? Are we really responsible for growth? 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7. I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. God is in control, folks. It's his work. It's not ours. We try to be in control. Come on, admit it. I do the same thing. We try to be in control, don't we? But we can't hold things together. We can't hold all things together. Colossians 1.17 And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. When we place everything into God's hands, which is not an easy thing to do. Can we just be honest about that? It is not an easy thing to do. But when we do place everything into God's hands, our tough, our difficult situations, we do this, we let go of control and begin trusting God. This is a reality, folks. When we let go, we begin trusting God. And this is where our faith grows. This is where we learn to rely on God and in his promises. And in turn, it strengthens our faith. So in our relationship with God, we are held by controlling hands, creating, controlling. Let's talk about commanding hands. 
commanding. I'm not going to pull it up, but you know in Exodus 20, we have what we call the Ten Commandments. First, this shows that we needed to be saved from sin. Can we just admit that? When we look at this list of commandments, we can see that we need to be saved from sin. Through these commandments, God wanted to make all human beings aware of our sinful condition. And when, there were, when these were given, <clears throat> excuse me, and when these were given to the children of Israel, it was so that they'd be a witness to surrounding nations. They were to be set apart. They were to stand out. They were to be observed by other foreign nations that would hopefully imitate and follow suit. That's why there were these rules, these parameters. These commandments are all about, they're all about man's relationship with God and man's relationship with his fellow man. This was the basis of Israel's covenant. It was the basis of Israel's covenant relationship with God. These were to govern the people. They promoted observance of divine instructions because structure is awesome. We love structure. We love structure. We have parameters. We have rules. We have stipulations uh, uh, for all for the purpose. You ready for this? All for the purpose of keeping us close to God. Have you ever thought about like that? The rules, the Ten Commandments? Everything that we are given is given so that we are kept close to God. Any parent will back me up here. We give our children rules so they're not abducted, so they're not burnt, so they don't get hurt. We put rules and stipulations for their protection. God does the same thing all for the purpose of us keeping close to him, not separated, which is what was happening in Isaiah, not separated. Isaiah 40, 12. Isaiah 40, 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has done that? Isaiah 48, 13. My hand laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Job 36, 32, he covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Proverbs 8, 29, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. My goodness, there's just four verses that show you the commanding hands of our God. He is in command and control of all things. So picture this, like the chaos we find in a storm, like the chaos, the behavior, the chaotic function of a storm. And folks, I'm talking about not only a natural storm, I'm talking figurative as well. Things are not out of control. We think they are, and in our hands, they are. But under the command of God, under the command of God, our obedience to his commands brings us peace. Do you know that? That's why these rules, these commandments are so integral to our Christian walk. They bring us peace, peace that surpasses all understanding. And this is part of our blessed assurance that God is in control of all things and that he is in command of all things. Mark 4, 39, and he awoke 
And he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. That is the commanding hands of our God who can stop that storm. In your life, those figurative storms that do appear, the tough, bad situations, there is a God who's saying, climb into my hands, peace be still. I will calm that storm for you because I am commanding. I am controlling. I am the creator. These are the hands you are in. This is a privilege. This is our privilege to step into these hands that would protect us under a commanding God. No wind, no waves, no lightning moves without God's knowledge. That is amazing. He woke up and stopped the storm. He can do that for us. Let's talk about crucified hands. Crucified hands in Matthew 27, 35. It says, and when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Now, I know this is a weird verse for me to put up, but you know the sole purpose of the cross was execution? It wasn't a form of corrective punishment. Like when you went up alive, you came down dead. That was the purpose. It was a horrifying and torturous means of execution. And we all know that Jesus was hung on a cross, But while he was there dying, while he was there sacrificing his life for ours with crucified hands, there were soldiers casting lots for his garments with their hands. That's what their hands were doing, why his hands were up, nailed to a cross. What a contrast. Isn't that a contrast, seeing what their hands were doing versus his? Let me tell you the story. John 19, 23 and 24. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it. Let's cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the Scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Folks, prophecy was fulfilled in this. Just a little history so you know, there's, there's a reason they would want these clothes. Clothes was a sign of wealth. I mean, people had maybe one or two outfits. So to add this to their collection, it would be a sign of, of wealth and affluence. But it was also popular. Could you imagine what they would have sold those clothes for? The crucified Jesus? Remember the crazy man, the maniac? I've got his, I've got his tunic. We don't know, I can only speculate, but they wanted the clothes. What's interesting about this, though, is that while it was customary, and I don't know if you know this, it was customary for Roman soldiers to divide the loot, to divide the loot up of those who were being crucified, and they often did this, they often did this. What I thought was interesting is the Bible tells us plainly that there were four guards. There were four guards. They were dividing the pieces up in four, right? But who gets the tunic? Oh, let's cast lots for it. Why were there four guards? I mean, he was hanging on a cross. He was nailed to a cross. Where was he going? Only thing he was doing was coming closer and closer to death with every passing minute. Why did they need four guards on Jesus? 
Well, they knew he was a miracle worker. They knew he was a miracle worker. They knew he had followers. How many followers, they were unsure of. But with four guards, it tells us that, was there going to be a great rescue today? Is there going to be a rescue? Is there a plan set to free Jesus? Is he going to come down off this cross himself? Well, we need to be ready. Four guards. But you know what? Jesus, with crucified hands, he went to that cross to see it through. There was no plan but to see it through. He went to that cross to finish the job. It was his work. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In that famous verse in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. He wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't going anywhere. The Father placed this great work into the hands of Jesus. And Jesus, those hands brought us salvation. That's why nails in my hand, all they'll ever be is nails. But in the hands of Jesus... It's salvation. So in our relationship with God, we are held by crucified hands, creating, controlling, commanding, crucified, last, cleansing, cleansing hands. Folks, I'm going to talk about an event that is not found in the oldest and best manuscripts. It is, however, widely believed to be a true story, uh, I believe it is, about Jesus that was preserved in the oral tradition and was eventually added by well-meaning scribes. And that story is found in John 8. Let me just tell you a little bit about it. There were scribes and Pharisees who had caught a woman in the act of adultery. Okay? They brought her to Jesus, stating that the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. So what do you say to that? What do you say to that? Jesus replies, the one without sin among you, yeah, he should be the first to throw a stone. The one without sin, you go ahead and throw the stone. And of course, they left one by one until it was just the accused woman and Jesus that were left there. And he looked and he asked the woman, he said, where are they? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says in John 8, 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, well, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, and sin no more. A leper approached Jesus, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And in Matthew 8, 3, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, I'm willing, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. We sing about it today in our songs. Isaiah 1, 18 Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like red, crimson, they shall become like wool. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleansing hands make us right in God's eyes. 
We were stained crimson. We were made white as wool, not by our own efforts, by the hands that we've been placed in. You know, cleansing hands make us right. The adulterous woman, the leper, you, me, we all experienced a turning point when we were forgiven by Jesus. It was a turning point. And that turning point was our response to God. So in our relationship with God, we are held by cleansing hands. So I need to tell you, allow Christ to hold you, to make and mold you. Allow his hands to guide you and to lead you. If you are looking for safety, if you are looking for security, it is his hands that you want to be held by. It's being in his hands that will make you what you ought to be. I want to be what God designed me to be. In my hands, I cannot do it. In his hands, that's who I become. When we are overwhelmed, when we are anxious, when we are stressed, when we are carrying burdens, when we are tempting, attempting to take matters into our own hands, when we're trying to fix on our own everything that's wrong, we can be consumed, consumed with our trials. We can be consumed with our problems, forgetting the blessings that God has given us. We can easily forget. We see what they forgot. God's people, witnesses to the great miraculous work of God, they forgot we do the same when we allow ourselves to be consumed by the things we carry in our hands. But when we put everything into God's hands, we can focus on what's really important. You want to know what that is? What's really important? Our relationship with God and with the people He has blessed us with in our lives. Our relationship with God and the people that he has blessed us with in our lives. He holds every life. He holds all of our lives. He holds our well-being in his hands. I started with Isaiah 59.1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. No, he can hear and he can reach you. Is your relationship right? Because these are the hands that we want to find ourselves. So say, today, church family, hear me. Today, give it all over to him. Commit yourself to God and place yourself in his creating, his controlling, his commanding, and crucified and cleansing hands. Let's put our very lives in the hands of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have given us every picture of what it's like to be held by you. And I desire everything. Lord, I know these brothers and sisters of mine do too. Father, I want what you're offering. How could I ever deny what you're offering? But I allow things to get in there and cause separation. God, first and foremost, this church family, your flock, myself, Lord, we pray for to the connection. We pray for our relationship to be made right with you. Lead us and convict us till you bring us back and restore us to that relationship. And then, Father, let us be held by the hands, the creating, the controlling, the commanding, the crucified, and the cleansing hands of our God that will sustain us, protect us, secure us. 
Father, this is what we desire. Help us desire that, Lord. Help us desire that all more and more. Every day, Lord, every passing day, let us want to grow closer and closer in our relationship and be found in these hands, Lord, not carrying the burdens of this world on our own, not carrying the things that we can identify that we say, I'll fix, I'm in control, I'll handle it. Let us commit to you and hand these things over to the hands that created us, that control all things, that command everything crucified for us, Lord, that cleansed us and made us right in your eyes. Let us place these things in your hands and live the life, walk the Christian life that you have called us to. That's my prayer for today, Lord. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.